0: here along with science advisor Matt Moniz and Stephanie Burke. We have Moniz back in studio for the first time in a while. I'm just going to start putting up every microphone. They'll all work eventually. Uh, But he's back for the first time in a while. How you been Moniz? I've been very, very, very busy. I I can tell.
1: I've taken care of a few health issues, but I've been uh, tapped by the BFRO to help them out with a bunch of backlog of cases. So I've been interviewing witnesses, checking out locations and and stuff.
0: That explains the beard. Yeah. (laughs) Trying to make sure that you are, you know, more, uh, you know, kind of an undercover move toward trying to find the Bigfoot creatures. He's
2: just trying to match Bigfoot, that's all. I thought
0: he was trying to match me. It's it's almost like a competition to see which one of us has the bushier beard at this point.
1: No, I think you got it right now.
0: I didn't even know that you were growing yours. I just assumed because you usually do in the winter like me. Yeah. But uh, I was telling them beforehand I actually had to, like, shave the sides down a little bit, trim it down a little bit, sculpt it a little bit. So, and I got some promo pictures coming up for the station, so I don't know what I'm going to do. I might be less squatchy myself, but we'll see how that goes. I like being bushy in the winter. You look better squatchy. I like it. I think it makes me look distinguished.
1: I like it more full the way you have it now. This is
0: kind of getting kind of creepy, I think, I for the it. audience. The audience is like, yeah. he's got, these two guys are just admiring their beers. I thought the show was about the paranormal, which it is. <laughs> we talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. And tonight, the silent assassin, Matt Costa, is not here. Which, how often do we actually run a show without the silent assassin producing? And uh, he's gone from producing the audio part, to which is I do that now, which is why we always have mistakes, <laughs> to over to the video part. But he, he can't be with us uh, for tonight and probably for a couple of weeks. So we have John Brightman filling in over there. And we've we've simplified everything for you,
3: John. Yes, very much simplified. Thank God.
0: So for those of you who are watching on the uh, watching on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com and on YouTube and on the Spooky South Coast app, you're not going to see the same presentation that you're used to with Spooky TV. Because I had to to load everything up myself and I'm not nearly as good at that stuff as Matt. I, I go over there and I start trying to mess around with it to set it all up for John to be able to run it. And There's, like, all these crazy backgrounds and, like, things where video comes, like, zooming in and all. I'm like, ah, yeah, no. That's way beyond my capability. So we kept it really simple. So it won't look as fancy as it usually does. But we're trying. We'll try to make up for that with good content tonight. Because tonight our guest will be uh, Tara Teresa Hill is our guest. And she runs a website called The Ghost Post, and she's an author as well. We're going to be talking about ghosts all night. We love to talk about ghosts. It's one of our favorite things to discuss in the world of the paranormal, at least one of mine. So we'll be joined by her a little bit later on. We'll also take your calls at 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. We're actually back on the radio tonight for the first time in a couple of weeks.
2: It's been a while.
0: It's been a matter of NFL games. Uh, Last week, I couldn't be here because I was actually at the game so we couldn't even go over our, over our spooky TV stream and just do a show that way because I was too busy, you know, eating steak tips and lobster rolls. I was say you had
2: lobster, but I don't know if I would have wanted to do the show during that game. That was a good game.
0: Right. It was, it was. It was by by the second half when things were comfortable. I was like, I should probably just jump on Spooky TV right now and, and do a Spooky South Coast. But you could have. That's not what I'm getting paid for. I'm getting paid to write about the game. So it was uh, it was fun to. You know, have a Saturday night off for mm-hmm. a change, too. But we, we love doing the show, but sometimes it's nice not to have to be here. Of course, I have no idea what day it is when I'm covering a Patriots game. I just assume that it's Sunday, no matter what. Right. Even if it's like a Thursday night game or a Monday night game, it's always just Sunday to me. And the Patriots, of course, playing tomorrow in the AFC Championship game.
2: I'm bummed right now because I have to do a gallery reading from 2 to 4, and that game is at 3.
0: Just, uh... Just tell everybody at three that there's no more spirits coming through.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine?
0: You're like, I'm sorry. The sorry connection's gone dead.
2: done.
0: The connection's gone dead. You know, everybody, like, there's going to be, not, not to make it sexist, mm-hmm. but let's let's pretty much go with the predominant Correct. gender yes. roles in this. There's going to be a lot of women that are there Probably. that want to make connections to the other side. and There's going to be a lot of men who got dragged along and are there just because, you know, their wives wanted the emotional support. Or girlfriends or whatever, and they really want to leave the game. I know that that's sexist, and, and no. you know, I, in today's environment, I don't want to pinpoint any particular gender as to preferring football over the other, or spirit messages, as opposed to the other. But let's just, let's just be honest. There's going to be a lot of guys in there that are hoping that you'll hurry up.
2: I'm just going to assume that those guys have not agreed to go to this, considering it's the NFL playoff.
0: I, I know that if it wasn't, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that I cover the games, I would find every excuse in the world. Somebody could call me up and be like, "I got a demon in my house. I need you to come help me get rid of it." I'll be like, "I'll be there at uh, probably nine o'clock." What, yes. what
3: happens if somebody comes in tomorrow, a guy with his wife, starts asking you questions about the Patriots?
2: Oh, it's going to happen. I'm sure. <laughs> Listen, I successfully uh, predicted the the last set of playoff games. Really? Yes. I did.
0: Like last week's games yeah. or yep. last year? all of
2: them. I sat down. I picked everybody. Did you pick the teams?
0: Or did you pick the scores?
2: No, I picked the teams. I wasn't going to go oh, as far God. as the scores because it didn't really matter to me as long as, you know, they won. I could, but I could I I, uh, do that. I was sitting at a table with some people that are sitting behind me right now and uh, kept telling them the Vikings were going to win. <laughs> and right down to the wire, they're like, yeah, no, you were totally wrong. I was like, all right, three out of four is not bad. And then... <laughs> That last minute was pretty intense. So,
0: like, I'm I'm pretty sure that I could I could have picked who was going to win the games. Although I probably would have picked
3: Pittsburgh.
2: No, well, but. see, that's what I figured everybody was going to pick the Steelers. But I I knew for sure.
3: I. I- didn't believe the Steelers would win that See, game. See,
0: when you get to be like what I did a couple of years ago, where I correctly predicted the exact score of Patriots games, I remember that like three or four times in one season. Yep. To the point where one of the editors wrote a column questioning whether or not I actually was psychic.
2: That's hilarious.
0: So when you can predict the exact scores like I do, then then I'll be impressed.
2: I didn't care as much to do that. That wasn't
0: to be to be clear. Boring. I'm impressed by your psychic abilities. Oh, I'm, well, thank I'm not you. impressed so, by your football so kind psychic of you. abilities.
2: So, well, fine, I won't tell you who's going
0: to win. I don't need to know who's going to win.
3: I think we all know who's going to win.
0: Uh, well, well, <laughs> hey, let's not
3: let's not just. This make is America's Jacksonville. <laughs> right, right, right. Come on now.
0: It's the number one defense in the league. Don't don't take them too lightly. So anyway, that's uh, you know, that's by the time people listen to this on podcast, the game will already be over. They're like these right. guys are idiots. <laughs> like, right. But uh, we are going to talk about ghosts coming up a little bit later on. But Moniz, I do want to ask you. You said that you've been going out and handling a lot of these. Uh, Bigfoot cases, uh, and I think there's a lot of focus on Bigfoot research right now. You know, the, the paranormal world goes in trends, Yeah. and we had our ghost trend, and we had a little bit of a, of a UFO trend for a couple of years where people were starting to get into that. Uh, I think right now, demonology is a, a big trend, but there's a lot of people, too, that are getting into the cryptids, and a lot of people are very interested in Bigfoot research, and whether or not you want to say these creatures exist, and I'm not you, I mean, you know, people who are looking into this. I'm interested a little bit into the uh, the pathology and and the uh, procedures of investigating for a Bigfoot. So if somebody tells you we've gotten these reports, uh, say, you know, we'll we'll just we'll use Middleborough because that's had a frequent amount of sightings. Okay. So a town a couple towns away from here. So Middleborough has had some sightings. People say that they've seen this creature. Uh, Walking through the woods, they've captured it maybe on some of their game cameras. Uh, Maybe some of their home exterior surveillance cameras caught something. And, you know, maybe they found prints in the woods that look like they're not anything that's normally occurring out there in the woods. What would be your first step as a researcher to go out there and and try and verify these claims that people are making?
1: Well, the first thing is to um, make an assessment of the people making the reports, just like in – Paranormal research or UFOs. There's, you know, am I dealing with somebody that has mental issues? Is you know, drunk on drugs? You know, you, you do the same ruling out of you know the wheat from the chaff that right. you do in regular paranormal. If they turn out to be a, a, a credible type of witness, then you follow up with you know the typical questions: Where did it happen? What time did it happen? who is with you, if applicable, and things like that. Then you start to get into the meat and potatoes of what they saw, if it's something that they saw. A lot of times, a lot of reports they're getting now is, um, like, footprints or, you know, audible, audible noises and stuff like that. We just had a um, uh, a case where it was a, a, a roadrunner case. It, it ran across a road and... On Route 44 in um, Connecticut, I'm not going to get into the particulars. Where but.
0: was it? Wearing a red flannel shirt? No. Okay. Good. No. All right. But uh,
1: <clears throat> talk to the witnesses. Uh, described a uh, tall creature over seven feet tall. Covered in hair, crossing the road from one side to the other. I swear
3: I wasn't in Connecticut.
1: <laughs> well, what's interesting is... we well, you said
0: covered in hair.
1: Covered in hair, yeah. I don't
0: want to know. Have don't you answer not that. Have seen me no. with a shirt off? No. no, you'd be covered in tattoos. Uh, That's, you'd be the Bigfoot covered in tattoos.
1: True. But um, it, it's just like paranormal research or UFO research. <laughs> so
0: you, you're collecting all of the, the data ahead of time and right. in, in the, in the reports of what it is that you're looking for. But from what I'm wondering is now you're going out there and you're trying Physical, to find yeah. if there's something. And I know how to look for ghosts. I know what to bring with me. I know what experiments to run. I know all that kind of stuff. If I was going out there to try to prove or, or, or try to verify claims of a Bigfoot sighting, I wouldn't know where to begin to be able to say if there was something anomalous that was out in those woods or not.
1: Well, it's, it's not that easy. I'll grant you that because you have to be familiar with what's normal in the woods and Mm -hmm. what's not. Even though if this is a natural creature, it being in the woods would be quote-unquote normal, you know. Uh, Right, but but it wouldn't
0: be normal for you to encounter encounter. signs of it. Right. So you want to –
1: I'm sure you're used to saying, okay, I
0: know that – in this particular area, there's, you know, fox would be running around the woods, deer, deer and, you know, wild right. turkeys, anything like that. you know what to look for signs of.
1: Coyote. But you
0: knew that, that if, you know, if if you saw something that maybe suggested a bear, you would say, well, bears aren't usually down in this area.
1: Right. You rule in or out what other animals it can be. La- say in, like, southern Connecticut, we know that there are pretty much no moose. Okay. So if something is breaking branches, you know, eight feet up, you know. In Maine, seeing a, a trail eight feet up in the air and branches broken, you know there are plenty of moose out there with mm-hmm. big antlers that can clear it. Southern Connecticut, not so much. Mm-hmm. So if you got something that's clearing a path, you know, taller than you are, and the tallest thing that you would have out in, the, in those woods would be, you know, a white-tailed deer, mm. that's only going to come up maybe to your chest or your chin. You know you're looking at something like that what what would be breaking big branches like that that high up
0: and uh, just a question that's popped up in in the chat room uh, somebody wants to know if they want to reach out to you what's a good way to get a hold of you these days um, spooky crew still
1: uh, hits to my email
0: okay so spooky crew at spooky south uh, if you want to get in touch with Matt whether it be for for Bigfoot stuff or or any reason uh, I find to me I find that when people are reporting, encountering these these creatures or when they f- yep. when they think that they found something that could possibly be a bigfoot creature, usually a lot of them have a pretty good handle on, what it is that's out in the woods maybe it's a hunter who hunts frequently and knows what should be out there or somebody who lives on the edge of the woods that knows what kind of animals they usually see so that probably helps that you have people that they can already kind of say to you listen i've seen deer walking around the woods i know what a deer looks like in the woods so they do have a little bit of a background that can help you narrow some things down
1: yes um the biggest one that gets confused a bear. Now bears in certain areas, especially here in southern New England, not not impossible. Uh, no, we do have uh, reports of them around here. But the bear that we have around here are small black bear. They're at the most the size of maybe a German Shepherd, or or even smaller. Uh, large black bear you find more up in New Hampshire and Maine and things like that. That Those can be confused, but the bear that we have around here are too small. And when you got something that stands, you know, seven, eight foot tall, even a small, you know, German Shepherd-sized bear, even if it stands on its feet, it's only going to be as tall as you.
0: My favorite bear is the one that made it to the Cape.
1: Oh, the one that uh, the canal? There? Some, yeah. Somehow
0: made it over the bridge. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if he had the permit for that. So it's, it is, there is a process involved. So people are, are, you know, people who listen to the show frequently are like, well, you know, where's Moni's been? It's not just something that you're doing on Saturday nights. I mean, this is something that is probably taking up a good deal
1: of your time. Yeah. I I can take a ride out to, you know, Worcester area on a Wednesday night or, you know, a lot of times it's meeting people when they have the availability and Mm -hmm. unfortunately weekends are the only time that they have available or, you know, so you got to. Make hey well sunshines. Is it
0: does it is it helpful for it to have it be a time when because I'm sure when you're going out there and you're looking, like you've got to be aware of hunting season, you've got to yes. be aware of where you are. Yeah. Uh, it probably makes it easier. Whether it's
1: private property, public property, what times you can be allowed in those areas and stuff. Yeah.
0: When when hunting season is over, it probably makes it a little bit easier not only for you to go out into the woods to look for them, but I would think if these creatures are out there, they they know to stay away when there's more man in the woods.
1: Well Most hunting is done during the day, okay? And going out in Bigfoot research, you're not so much looking for Bigfoot during the day. You're looking for its signs because it's daylight. It's easier to see the broken branches, the footprints and the scat and the remains of deer that have been fed upon and things like that. To track them and find the animal itself, it's more done at night because they're thought to be nocturnal. And it makes it a lot easier, you know, to go into the woods at night and not have to worry about hunting because hunting usually isn't done at night with certain exceptions.
0: Well, I think that I would like to go out at some point. You know, in the spring when the weather's a little better and, and, uh, you know, I'm not much of a woodsman, despite what the beard might suggest. (laughs) Uh, I am not much of a woodsman. I don't think that I would be – I know that it's probably easier to find tracks in the snow, Yes. But, uh, I, I think that I would probably. It, to me, I just look at it as wait a minute. A whole bunch of white stuff on the ground might make it a lot easier for me to get lost in the woods. And plus, um, I, I'm kind of a wuss. I'll wait until the spring when it's warmer. <laughs> and so maybe sometime this spring we'll go out and you can actually show me the process sure. of, because I've never done it. And, I mean, we, we did it one time, you know, on Moni's Island.
3: But that, <laughs> that was kind really of. Yeah,
0: we were kind of just like, you know, yeah. dummying it up a little bit. But, um, I think I would like to go out and just kind of see the process so that I have a better understanding of, of what it is that you do and you know maybe if two bearded gentlemen go out there the bigfoot might be like hey these are my people yeah. you know I want to come out and say hi so uh, let's 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 make a plan to do that at least at some point
1: well I plan on taking um, other people out in spring I'll, I'll try and put together a little um a little gathering
0: well, um, let's just do something you and I first. Yeah,
1: you and I um, I don't.
0: I don't want everybody to know that I'm afraid of well, what's out there. Not a problem. Not a problem.
1: First. But we can we can set up stuff for other people if they want to go too. You know, I know plenty of people that would love to come out and go. Um, my daughter, Lex, you're welcome to come up with us too. There's
0: uh, there's rattlesnakes. Too around here, people don't realize that. You go up to like the, the Blue Hills, well, yep, yeah. there's, there's rattlesnakes.
1: So. We have rattlesnakes in So there's,
0: there's, yeah. there's reasons to be a little bit worried about going into the woods. No, want, seriously. I, I want to know
3: when we're going to go alien hunting and bring Stephanie Never. with us.
1: Well, you don't, have, you don't really, really you don't have yep. to hunt them. You just, you just, John, you just call I'll bring them. them to her.
0: No. No? No. <laughs> you just call them down. You don't have to hunt them.
3: Well, you true. just say, here she is. We got her out
0: here in a wide open area. Now's the time to land.
2: You guys are so mean.
3: Oh, you know you are
0: not it.
2: mean, it's research. No. no, 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 no. It's not research. What do you need to research?
0: <laughs> it's research. What
2: good is that going to do for anyone to have aliens come and find me?
0: Be well, entertaining. Because if it's you, that's, that's just one true. person they're not going to be bothering and abducting for one night. So it's actually a service to all of mankind.
3: And Plus, if we were going to do this. I mean, you think that you would be able to talk to them and, you know, because they would probably speak to you, you know, telepathically, mm-hmm. mentally. Yeah. So that would be a good help for us to be able to speak with them and know what's going on, is having you there.
2: You don't need me for that.
3: I can't do what you do.
2: No, but I'm fairly <laughs> but... <laughs> certain that aliens have some type of weird superpower where they could just get across to you what they need to without using me in the middle.
3: I still like the idea of you being
2: there. No. No, I'm good. Thank you. I've um, I've sworn off well, aliens forever. And...
3: I, I'm, I'm going to help. I'm
0: going to help Stephanie with the transition out of this conversation right now. Thank you so much. She, she has to go in the other room and get our guest on the phone. Perfect. So she's going to do that, and we, and we can pivot a little bit here. You I, can I stop will, picking on me. I will say this: uh, I got really excited last night when the government shut down. Oh, good. Because my thinking was, oh, if the government shut down. Then that means that you know there's nothing really going on at the White House, and we can go look for ghosts there, right? Mm. So I did I did tweet the president, and I did ask him, you know, if I was like, hey, if the government needs some money, you know, we can host a fundraiser, and we nope. can do a little ghost hunt there, you know, and I, I promised pizza and Swedish fish. <sighs> he seems like he's a pizza and Swedish fish kind of
3: guy. So did you get a response though?
0: I not yet, but he's busy. He's working on a bunch of different things, but uh, he may he may get back to us and say. That it sounds like a, a very, very fine idea.
2: I mean, he doesn't really live there anyway, so it's not like we'd be interrupting.
0: Well, I mean, I'm willing to go on a Saturday night when he's at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. You know, we don't need him to be there. No, no. I just, you know, leave us a couple of staff members that have had experiences to talk to us. Yep. And give us the chance to, you know, be able to...
2: We'll be hanging out with Lincoln.
0: Or whoever else wants to show up. Yeah.
2: If if all
0: we get is Rutherford B. Hayes, I'll be fine with Rutherford B. Hayes.
2: Will you? Yeah, will you truly be fine. satisfied, or will you need to come back for more? No, that? I think.
1: Isn't Andrew Jackson's wife also supposed to? Oh, uh, <laughs> well,
0: there's a there's a number of, of spirits that are there, but uh, you know, I'm just saying which ones might actually choose to talk to us. Hmm. You know, some of them might be like. <sighs> Lincoln I, think, bust. I think I think Lincoln would be willing to chat with us, considering his. Experience with the world of the paranormal.
2: Yes, let's not use Stephanie as bait to uh, bring Lincoln out. Let's let's throw in a field full of aliens, well, we don't, we don't that's need, way better.
3: We, we, don't need, don't need, need we don't need you, for you bait Lincoln. for
0: that, yeah. Yeah, no, Lincoln, Lincoln was... But you can't Lincoln do Lincoln was I do. cool with all this stuff. We don't need it. Not for Lincoln. He'll
3: talk to us through the recorders.
0: Like, if we need Warren G. Harding, then we'll be like, Stephanie, can you help us find Warren G. Harding? If You know, like, and William Henry, Henry Harrison... That.
2: Ghosts like me better than they like you guys.
0: But... These are the harder to find ghosts. Lincoln, I think, will be right there to welcome
3: us. You think JFK again, would be
0: there? Again, the beards. The beards. Oh, All the beards. As yeah, soon as we no, walk also. in, Lincoln's going to be like, "Those were some very fine beards, yes, gentlemen."
2: Beards or not, I think I still might be cuter than you.
0: Actually, Lincoln didn't really talk like that. Like everybody always has a you know four score and seven years ago, but apparently Lincoln had a very high pitched, nasally voice. Really? Right. So it's kind of looked more like you know four score and seven years ago. No, I'm not. I'm not kidding. I'm not. I'm not making fun. I'm just saying that's a story. <laughs> no, I read that. As well, yeah. So, which awesome. is which is that's why Daniel Day Lewis tried to portray him with more of that kind of a voice than the usual, you know, deep gruff voice that people associate with him. Because I think a lot of people just think Lincoln sounds like the Hall of the Presidents at Disney World, and that's not actually the case. So, but if you know, Donald, if you're listening, I'm sorry, President Trump, if you're listening. And you want to have us come check out your house, we'd be more than happy to come and investigate it. Like I said, we'll bring pizza if you would prefer Kentucky Fried Chicken, because I understand that that's his favorite food. If you would prefer Kentucky Fried Chicken, we would bring that too. And Diet Coke. We'll bring all the Diet Coke you can drink. We will gladly let you have as many scoops of ice cream as you would like. That part is covered. All we ask is that you let us walk around and investigate and poke our heads into places where they don't belong. The last time I was at the White House, I got a little bit in trouble. So that's I spit in a spittoon that I wasn't supposed to spit in. So, But it was a spittoon, so I thought that's what you did with it. But, Junior uh, high wa- uh, Washington trip? Uh, no, actually, it was uh, – I don't think I went into the White House on the Washington trip. I didn't go on the Washington trip for my class. We didn't have one. I went a few years later with another class to videotape it. I got hired to go and videotape it, so I got like a free – week of off of school and I got to go videotape it and everything. But uh, I had gone previously to that. so. But it's not the first time I was on the Secret Service radar. Probably won't be the last. <laughs> no, true story. I, I got myself on the Secret Service radar a couple of times, but that's alright. I don't mean any harm by it. I just sometimes say dumb things.
3: See, I would be all for that because I'd want to talk to JFK. Oh, I thought well, you would be all for him on the uh, Secret Service well, watch list. No, I meant going to the White House and investigating.
0: Well, what I mean, what is it about JFK that would make you want to communicate with him?
3: I, I want to know what his life was like and, you know, the yeah. stuff that people don't know that much about. But not only that, the honest answer, who shot him? He must know by now. I mean, he's dead and I'm sure he must know what's going on if he's a spirit and he can move around.
0: Assumptions like that are what get you on Secret Service watch lists. <laughs> Let me just tell you that. I know, John Tenney's so proud of me. (laughs) He's like, oh, you're on the Secret Service watch list, welcome to the club. (laughs) All right, well, why don't we get into our discussion for tonight? And again, if you want to call in at any time during the show and and ask us a question or ask a question of our guest, you can do so by calling in at 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. Those are the numbers to call in at any point during the program to uh, join in with the discussion. You can also do so in the chat room at Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. dot com. You can tweet us at spooky SC or just use the hashtag spooky live and we'll see it there as well. Or you can email us, spooky crew at spookysoutcoast dot com. But the best way to get in touch with us is always the old fashioned way. Call us on the phone. Alexander Graham Bell did not go through all that trouble, just for you to sit there on your cell phone and you know, type tweets and all that kind of stuff. So uh, please reward him by using the phone. And that way there we can actually have a, a real conversation. We'll keep an eye on the chat room as well. Stephanie's got the chat room going. Nope. I think you didn't get it going?
2: Computer won't work.
3: Which, which chat room? Because I got the YouTube, YouTube chat won't. room open. Yep, I got that, that, that one open.
0: Yeah. That's, that's what we're looking for. I'll keep okay. an eye out. If you see... Let me just let you know that if you see all capital letters in the chat room, this is a relatively new rule. It doesn't mean they're yelling at you.
3: Okay.
0: It means that that's a question that they want to have asked on the air. Okay. We've come up with that format where people can type in capital letters when they have a question. Okay. And then we still end up usually not seeing it because we're terrible. All right, so uh, we will get into it now with our guest. Uh, Since childhood, she's been fascinated with ghosts and haunting. She's experienced plenty of ghostly phenomena over the years, and she has sought to share those experiences with readers through both her ghost story blog and her fictional work. Uh, During college, she took classes like gothic literature, reading about Dracula, Frankenstein, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and other horror classics, and she always would refer to ghosts into her assignments as well. So that led to her uh eventually founding an annual college ghost tour to lead incoming students and their parents around, telling them about the spirits that haunted the campus. And uh, she joins us now. Uh, We have Tara Teresa Hill joining us on the phone, if I can remember how to do this and not mess anything up. Uh, Hello, Tara, are you with us? Yes,
4: hi. Oh, there you are.
0: Oh, see, it works all right. So do you you prefer just Tara or Tara Teresa or...
4: Uh, well, I mean, you can call me Tara, but um, I did take Tara Tar- Teresa Hill as my uh, official author name because, I don't know, I thought it had a nice ring to it, you know?
0: It does. It certainly does. And uh, it just, you know, sometimes when you are writing professionally, you know, you want to have a-, a name that has a-, a meaning for you, you know? if Maybe it's a, a family name or-, or maybe it's something else or maybe you just want to hide from the IRS. Whatever it is that you want to do, we yeah. en- we <laughs> encourage it and we're we're fine with it, so uh well i want to talk to you first and foremost before we really get into some of these ghost stories and we get into some of the, your theories on ghosts and, and some of the real ghost stories that you've shared with people through your blog i want to ask you about leading a college ghost tour where did you go to college that had such uh, prolific amount of ghost stories that you could uh, run an entire ghost tour about the school
4: Well, I went to the College of Mount St. Vincent in Riverdale. um, It's actually uh, near the Bronx in uh, New York. And um, basically, you know, all colleges, I've heard of so many college ghost stories. And my college, of course, had its share. And some of them might have just been legends that the students made up. But anyway, when I became a student during orientation... Uh, one of the orientation leaders, really sweet uh, lady named Brittany, told us, like I said, I love ghost stories. Are there any ghost stories about the college? And so she told me a bunch of them. And, you know, I really got very excited. And then when I was an orientation leader, and this is how it started, I happened to mention some, and I had a bunch of students who were interested, and I said, sure, you know what, I could take you around. And that was the best one I did because honestly, it was just a bunch of quiet kids right here, like history slash ghost story legends about the college. Um, Other times I did it and they were just too loud and noisy. And I said, guys, we're never going to see anything if we ever were.
0: Well, I mean, that's just, it's, it's fascinating to me that you could get, because, you know, we have, uh, you know, here in New England, we've got tons of haunted colleges. Every campus around here has ghost stories and, and they have legends to share. The problem is that you run into administrations not allowing you to go and either explore those stories or share those stories. I, I, I went and gave a, a ghost talk at UMass Dartmouth. Mm-hmm. And I didn't dare actually tell any of the ghost stories about UMass Dartmouth because I know how the faculty feels about them being shared there. So it's just it's one of those things Uh where, you know, here we have them everywhere, but we just can't tell them. So I I think it's very fascinating that you were able to incorporate that with people. Did anybody ever, like, take the orientation tour, hear these stories, and say, you know what, I think I changed my mind. I'm going to go somewhere else.
4: No, no. (laughs) um, I mean, they were pretty interested in them. I mean, sometimes... They weren't too happy when I told them about some of the dorms being haunted. And they said, do you know which rooms? And I said, "Uh, well, not officially, no. But I said, but don't worry about it. You're freshmen. You're going into alumni at the time. That was the building. I said, you're going into alumni anyway. So the really haunted places are Seton Hall and Merlach Hall. So don't worry. And then, of course, I did see ghosts in the other places, too. And I was like, well, yeah, you know, they're everywhere.
0: Well, and that's the thing, too, I think, is if you're opening up your mind to the fact that they're there, then they're going to be more receptive to coming out and talk to you. So people going into these, you know, dorms and not knowing which ones were haunted and which ones weren't, I'm sure their first mindset is, I bet you I got the haunted dorm. And so then maybe these spirits are a little bit more likely to come out and and interact with them. Maybe.
4: That's a good point.
0: Or maybe it's just, you know, they just go to wherever the best parties are.
4: Um, this is, some people swore to me they never saw anything. They heard all the stories and never saw anything. Some people I know had experiences. So, you know, I had a few experiences myself, which, in retrospect, they creeped, in retrospect, I love them, but while they were happening, I got either creeped out or confused, because I didn't understand what was going on at the time.
0: The, the one good thing is that, you know, if you're going to a toga party... And when the party's over, you can just use the toga to turn it into a ghost to scare one of your roommates or something. <laughs>
4: that's, that's funny. That's
0: what I would do. But then again, I, I didn't stay at college because nobody would room with me if I did. Nobody wanted to stay with me. Uh, I was a commuter instead. So now, with uh, with what you were introducing uh, these stories to folks, did that mean that you know you're there on campus? You're you're there involved? You're going to school as well? Did that mean that people were willing to come to you and and tell you when they had a weird or strange experience? Were you, you like, the go-to person if something strange happened?
4: At the college? Yeah. No, I mean, they just kind of knew that I knew the ghost stories. And, um, well, I did do some actual – I did do some events uh, through RAs and everything, especially around Halloween. I did a couple of Ouija board readings in the college um, where, you know, we tried to contact spirits around the college. So we did – I guess so, yeah. I probably got a bit of a reputation.
0: <laughs> well, and you said that when it says in your bio that as you were studying, you know, you were focus on, focusing on a lot of, of that stuff. And I think it's funny now that, you know, colleges are actually teaching courses with ghosts as a central theme. You know, maybe it might not be the actual pursuit of proving their existence, but at least ghosts are becoming more and more of a topic that people are interested in at an academic level.
4: Yeah, that is, yeah, that's true. I mean, I was always interested in, you know, the ghost stories, um, whether they're true, like, accounts or they're, um, you know, through experiences or they're uh, fiction. You know, I really love fictional ghost stories. Um, I mean, that's why I also write them. But for me, it was just, you know, has always been an interest. So, but but I think it is really cool that they're also teaching people about those things. And I think it's important to keep an open mind to, you know, to the unknown and to the spirit world, you know, especially when you think about our ancestors, you know, the people who came before us and maybe how, you if we think about them more and we focus on them more, we can give them energy to kind of help us through our challenges in life. And that's what I think
0: anyway. Well, absolutely. And and ghosts are a frequently used literary device because they are an opportunity to be very reflective of of ourselves and, and of our times. And, and I think that people use ghosts as a way to uh, kind of represent the – in some ways they can embody the fears of mankind, but they also embody uh, what it is to be human and what it is to – kind of look at the fact that we are mortal and we only do have a limited amount of time to make our mark here and that, you know, kind of the way that we're remembered is our ghost. It's kind of what lives on after us. So they're a very powerful tool and, I, and I'm sure that you use them in a variety of ways in your writing.
4: Yeah, I really love to get to, to kind of go through the ghost point of view, actually. I've written a bunch oh, wow. of stories through the ghost point of view. Now, you don't always know that they are a ghost at the time. But I really, um, in some of my stories, but I really love to go into that. What, what I'm trying to do with ghost characters, really, is to give them more of, um, less of a passive part in the story and more a part of actually being a full-blown character with, their, with personalities and, you know, so kind of like get to know them and what they're going through and what the story, so actually the story revolves around them and not necessarily the human character.
0: And when you're doing that, when you're crafting these ghosts as characters, I'm sure it's important to you to keep the humanity of them. So it's not just a matter you know, people are, are, are afraid of ghosts. I mean, that's something that has always been uh, a common theme. There's, there's always that fear, that apprehension when you encounter one. But I think a lot of times ghosts are dehumanized. Uh, and, and by putting yeah. it in their perspective, I'm sure you have the ability to kind of explain who they are a little bit more.
4: That's exactly what I'm trying to do, and I'm trying to take away, um, you know, take away more of the fear. Like, it's not that I don't think that horror has its place. I mean, there are big, you know, people love horror stories, and I get it. But I like to get beyond that and see, but what is the ghost really about? What is their personality? And I actually like to do it where the humans and the ghosts kind of help help each other and interact with each other.
0: Is there a way when you are crafting these? I mean, do you just look at them as as the same way you would craft any living character—that you are giving them the same uh, thoughts, feelings, humanity—or do you have to take into account their, you know, the situation that they're in, and does that change the way that you portray the character? Well,
4: it it really depends on the story, um, you know, and what the story is about. But for the most part, I think of them as a human character, but with kind of like with superpowers, because, you know, they can levitate things in some scenes, or they can flow through walls, or, you know, there, there's always that tension of they can do other things, you know, and, and are they visible to the person the whole time? Are they invisible? Do they suddenly pop in, you know, where the person's thinking and suddenly, hey, you were thinking about me, and so here I am, and it's like, oh and I kind of go for a comical towards it, but not, not straight up comedy like slapstick comedy but sort of like um, not witty either it's it's kind of hard to explain like they'll just come in on a moment's notice you know um, I have that happen in a couple of scenes I'm working on in a novel so again it depends on the person you know the character of the ghost and the relationship between them and the human but that's kind of what I go for is to make them as human as possible but sort of with like special powers (laughs) because they don't have the same limitations we do
0: in a way though it's 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 kind of, you know, not having the limitations of, of living characters it probably gives you the opportunity to give them a lot of omniscience, too, in, in the stories, that they're able to, even if they don't have a, a direct knowledge of something that another character may be thinking or or feeling, they're able to kind of be around them without them knowing. So it, it almost, like, like a ghost as a narrator, for example, probably gives you a lot more insight than a person telling a ghost story where the ghost is just one of the characters. Yeah, definitely.
4: And I think, yeah, you're definitely right about that. And I love doing uh, a lot of my short stories. I do the ghost as the narrator slash main character, actually. And I just really, I love writing in first person. That's actually my my go-to is to write in first person, which is cool, but it can be a bit difficult once, you know, it gets past a a short story and it starts becoming a novel. But, ah, all right, well. why did i start this
0: in first person again right and well one of the advantages of researching actual true ghost stories is you must be able to use those actual reports that you're collecting from people and, and finding on your own you must be able to utilize those as a way to help you know further craft and define your characters oh
4: definitely i keep it in mind for inspiration or you know writers get you know ideas all the time so i just Something may be happening, you know, and I'll say, hey, you know, that's a good ghost story idea. That would make a good short ghost story. Or what about a ghost story from this perspective or something? And so, yeah, I'm always – I think they do filter in because I'll say, oh, ghosts can do this or ghosts can do that. Or maybe I should see if I could use this in a story, you know. I mean, levitating objects is very rare, but, you know, in a story it might be – it might
0: be uh, an interesting technique to have the ghost use, especially if they can use it to, you know, help someone. Well, and the, but there's also, too, that line of when you're writing, you know, you you will know what can be too fantastical to include in a story. Because as you're collecting these real true life reports, and then you, you are taking bits and pieces of those and, and putting them into your fictional accounts, you know, you might know to say, okay, well, a ghost isn't going to flip over somebody's car, you know. You you, you yeah, kind no, of that's
4: a little ridiculous. <laughs> you know
0: what the limits of believability are because you know what you believe from the reports that have come into you.
4: hmm
0: Has there ever been a story that you have, uh, you know, written and you said, "Okay, I, I, know I'm taking a lot of poetic license with this, but it, it, it might be a little bit of a stretching believability, but it serves the story." I'm, I'm sure there must have been a few instances of that.
4: Yeah, there's yeah, there's one I worked on where I said, "All right, you know, I think because it, um, it ended up being a romance story." And I was like, eh, "This might be stretching it a little, you know." Was it was yeah. it
0: was it go well, sex? You can say it if it was go sex, you can say no, it on the no, show. No, no,
4: no, no, no. I don't do that. No, but okay. it was like you know, <laughs> we <don't> two judge. <laughs> teenagers falling in love, kind of thing. And I was like, "Really?" I'm writing this. I'm like, "Yeah, why not?" It's cute. It's fictional. It's not like I'm saying it's real.
0: Because <laughs> we've, we've done entire shows on ghost sex. So if you have ever written ghost sex books, that's cool with us. I just want to put it out there.
4: No, no, no. I draw <laughs> the line. I was thinking more like, have you ever, I'm sure you've probably heard of it, The Ghost and Mrs. Muir? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, kind of like that, that emotional relationship sort of thing. Well, but you
0: know, I mean, you know, from the stories that you've collected and and from researching ghosts, people do have those type of relationships with the spirits that that live alongside them. It, whether it may, you know, it might not be a full out romance, but it will turn into you know a, a dependent relationship. It will turn into a a relationship where they actually care about what it is that the the ghost is thinking and feeling. Yeah, that's true. Or they, or
4: they at least, um, I mean, I've heard of some stories where. You know, they sort of accept accept them as, like, a part of the family. I've even had some people tell me they've asked the ghost to come with them.
3: Uh, In
4: some cases, like, if they move, they'll say, they'll ask the ghost to come with them, the spirit to come with them, they'll invite them. And if they don't, they're upset. Sometimes the spirit will say no. And sometimes I've actually heard that they will follow them. And I'll think, well, um, that's interesting.
0: So what is the... In, in collecting the real life stories, you know, what is the one that you would have to say stretches your level of believability? If you're, if you're willing to kind of stretch a little, a little bit in your fictional work, there has to have been something that you've heard in real life that you said, this doesn't, doesn't sound right to me, but everything seems to indicate that it's true.
4: Well, the thing is, I try not to, I mean, that's the first thing I tell, you know, my, uh, uh, the people who are interviewing with me is I'm not judging so I really don't kind of even want to answer that question because I don't I don't judge them because even if I'm saying in the back of my head, eh, you know, what I'm like just leave it alone. I always say on the blog I let everybody make up their own mind. I'm telling you what they tell me, and everybody else, you know, the reader can make up their own mind on it because you know I have to take the person at their word. You know what I mean?
0: Right, right. And and there's there's some. I mean, there's some sense of if you're if you're a paranormal investigator, uh, if you're going out there as a as a person trying to prove or disprove evidence of a haunting, then you have mm-hmm. to kind of take things. Uh, and 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 really kind of pare down what is believable and what's fantastical, and you need to look at it with a more critical eye. But what, with with what you do, and, and you even refer to yourself as more of a ghost reporter, you're just chronicling the experiences and the stories that people have experienced. You're not actually trying to prove or disprove if they're
4: true. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. So because I honestly I wouldn't. I don't know. I don't want to try to disprove or prove ghosts. I just think they're really interesting all on their own, you know, and sometimes people have these weird experiences they can't explain. I've had weird experiences, that you know, experiences that I can't explain, and I just feel it's almost like, um, I don't know, it's going to sound silly, but you know when you're growing up and you're reading about, like, you know, you read fairy tales and magic books and people going into other realms and things? Mm -hmm. To me, it has that sort of mystical quality, and I like it, and I really don't want to disturb it. I just want to expound on it and talk about it and explore it, but not to disprove it or prove it.
0: Is there going to be, uh, you know, if, uh, how how can I put this in a way that's not, I'm trying to put this in a way that's not overly critical of the people that are telling you these stories, but... What is kind of your level of cutoff where you have to say, this person is just either nuts or looking for attention? There must have been some stories that you've heard where you can tell that while the story, whether the story is believable or not, the person just doesn't seem credible that's
2: telling it.
4: Mm, Yeah, I mean, I think what's harder for me dealing with it, I mean, because I'll write, you know, someone, I've thought to myself, they could totally be making this up and I'm writing it down. Like, well, all right. You know, it makes for an interesting piece uh, for the blog, okay. But at the same note, you know, I say to myself, well, what's hard for me is when, and I feel so bad, because some people get really, really excited about wanting to talk and share their experiences, and the hardest part for me is to figure out how do I turn the limited experiences they had into something that's readable, and that can be difficult, because it might just be something where, Shadows are seen, or you know, um, a lot of banging on the walls. You know, things that it's kind of hard. That you know, that adds the atmosphere of a haunting, but don't necessarily, you know, make for a big ta-da kind of thing. You know, so sometimes I'll just I'll say, well, I'm going to stick with it. This is what happens, and and I like it when. I like it when the reader, um, I'm sorry, I like it when the interview, uh, the person I'm interviewing, right, kind of gives me the freedom to say, well, I am still a writer, and so I'm trying to make this entertaining. Where sometimes people, I've had people get so critical of details that I'm like, look, you want me to write it verbatim how you said it? You know? So that, that, that could be a little frustrating. But again, I still say, well, it is their story, technically. So well, I, mean, I do it as best I can.
0: There, I mean, there's, there's, there's a value in just the stories being told, whether it's believable, whether the person's believable, whether the story seems fantastical. I, my firm belief is that there's always a a value in somebody just talking about a ghost and talking about the possibility of a ghost, because it keeps it in the forefront of people's minds as being something that can be part of our reality.
4: I agree. Definitely. Well,
0: When we do a stage show, uh, myself and and some of my friends, where we actually present ghost stories uh, on stage, we we have a friend of ours, Frank Grace, who's an amazing photographer, and he goes out and takes these photos that are essentially a ghost story in a photo, and we take those, we put them up on a big screen behind us, and then we go out and we actually share the stories of these locations, almost like we're taking people on a ghost tour while they're sitting in their seats. And one of the things that we have had to really break from the mindset of is being paranormal researchers ourselves and being people who go out and lecture on ghosts and and try to get people to believe in the existence of ghosts with some of the, the, the video and the audio that we present to them. We had to really work hard to get ourselves out of that mindset and to say sometimes this good story is just a good story and that there's value in just telling a good story It seems like with your work, you're able to kind of ride that line with no problem because you're not firmly putting yourself in the proof or disproof uh, mindset.
4: Yeah, I mean, the approach that I'm taking in my work is basically how I have always felt about those. I mean, I personally believe in them, but like I said, I've enjoyed reading. I mean, I grew up reading, you know, books by Hans Holzer, you know, reading about his true accounts and other accounts and you know and just looking up I before really looking like Google I think before Google Images was a thing, I used to go in college, I would do this and my my boyfriend who Ben who's now my husband he would make fun of me because he would say, You scared yourself again, didn't you? I said, What do you mean? I'd go online and just look up ghost pictures for fun. Just sure. Sometimes and I would go through them for like an hour and then of course some of them would scare me. Because I would read the stories behind it, and I'd say, "Oh my god!" And then I'd say, "Oh, I got to go to sleep now. I have class at nine in the morning." And um, great, I scared myself. But, you know, so my approach has always been to just enjoy it for what it is, and just, you know, um, enjoy the story, like you said, just for what it is—being a story and being interesting and different.
0: But also, too, I mean, you know, if you're if you're getting scared. Uh, it's, it's giving you a reaction. And, and, and when we come back, we're going to have to take a break in a couple of minutes for the news. But when we come back, I want to kind of talk about that a little bit with you, uh, the idea of the thrill of the chill and the idea of people wanting to be afraid of things and then you know, kind of utilizing that as a storytelling uh, capability as well. And then we'll get into some of your thoughts uh, about and, and hear some of these stories that you've collected of true ghost stories and, and get your thoughts on what ghosts might be as well.
4: Okay, that sounds great.
0: And uh, if anybody wants to check out the website during the news break, it's the Ghost Post is the name of the website. And you can get to it by typing in ghostpost.co. And that will take you right to the website. And, uh, or just Google search the ghost post or Tara Teresa Hill. Either way, that will get you right to the page. And you can follow her as well on social media. If you want to follow her on Twitter, uh, you can find her at Tara Teresa Hill and at Facebook.com slash Tara Teresa Hill. see, it's so much easier when you can just use your name for everything, right? <laughs> yeah. Easier for everybody to find you. And, and you have a YouTube page as well. Uh, what, will, what will people find on the YouTube page?
4: Uh, Well, basically what I did was um, I do read-alouds of the Mm -hmm. blogs, the different blogs. I'm going through them and just doing read-alouds. So that way, well, I figure, you know, it's like you can hear a ghost story like for on the go or a slumber party or whatever. But also maybe if people can't read them, they can just, if they want to, you know, if they want to listen to them, they can do that as well. And there's
0: value in hearing the, the human voice sharing these stories as well. We can talk about that as well coming up in the next hour but we are going to take a break for the news again if you want to call in at any point during the show and share your thoughts and experiences or have some questions for our guest Tara Teresa Hill 508 996 if you want to call in toll free those numbers are available right on our website spookysouthcoast.com also on that site you can find uh, links to all of our past shows links to uh, the youtube videos of all the shows that we've done in the past we're coming up on our 12th anniversary next week. We'll be celebrating 12 years on the air, so there's a lot of Spooky South Coast content for you if you have not consumed at all. And what are you waiting for? I mean, you've got all this time on your hands. It's the winter. Nobody's doing anything. You just want to sit around, listen to podcasts, and watch YouTube videos? We've got you covered. Maybe you've got a nice new device for, for Christmas that you want to use and download some content onto. SpookySouthCoast.com, that's the site to go to. You'll find everything that you need. So we are going to take a break for the news. We will come back more with more with Tara Teresa Hill talking about ghosts and taking your calls as well. 508-996-0500. Back with more on Spooky South Coast in just a bit. <laughs> Steve Weisberg here, along with Stephanie Burke and science advisor Matt Moniz. We've got the big man John Brightman in tonight, helping us run Spooky TV on SpookySouthCoast.com, and on YouTube, and on the Spooky South Coast app, and on wherever else you can get streaming live video, you will find our faces. We're sorry for that. Well, we don't apologize for Stephanie's. So hers is fine. But for the rest <laughs> of us. So. Well, I mean, what else what do you want me to say?
2: Well, it's better than the previous statement. So. She ex-
0: she's like expecting me to shower her with compliments. Stephanie,
2: you haven't so like ten years, so I'm not expecting it anytime that's, soon.
0: It's not who I am.
2: I know. I love you just the way you are, Tim.
0: Good, because I'm not changing. I know. Including this shirt, I've been wearing it for two weeks straight. <laughs> that's not true.
2: No, all. it's not. There's live videos to prove it.
0: That's uh, that's. I actually was concerned the other day because I wore a shirt twice in the same week, <gasps> and I'm like, when so I go Facebook so. Live with my news videos, somebody's <laughs> going to point that fact out. Did they? No. Thankfully. Well, you just gave yourself away. It just goes to show that people just don't pay attention to me right, enough. Right, right. So I'm not I'm not that concerned about it, not that upset. Well, we are talking about the paranormal. We're talking about ghosts tonight with our guest Tara Teresa Hill, and she runs a website known as the Ghost Post. So you can check that out for yourself, theghostpost.co, so you don't even have to type in the whole .com. You can just stop at the C and the O. You don't need the M. She's saving a little bit of time there. And that's time that you can use spent uh, checking out her posts and checking out her stories. You can also follow her on Facebook uh, at Facebook.com slash Teresa Hill. And also you can follow her on Twitter as well at Tara Teresa Hill. And, of course, we have that posted up on all of our information as well. And I want to ask you, uh, Tara, too, um, Matt, our, our, our producer who's usually here and he's, he's off tonight, who uh, who is working on booking you, he mentioned that you have a, a Facebook group as well.
4: Uh, yes, I have a Facebook group, it's called the Paranormal Hotspot, um, the market for all things paranormal, and what it is is it's basically uh, a group I started, I actually linked it to my author page, and um, what it is is basically, I feel like it's hard to advertise, like to let people know what you're doing, whether it's your blog or, or what have you, just to uh, build your author platform. I said, you know, I don't really see a lot of places to do that on Facebook, I mean, other than to share it in, like, paranormal groups. So I said, you know what, why don't I let other paranormal groups and paranormal investigators and anybody with a paranormal-related business, I said, why don't I let them join the group and they could just promote there? And then, of course, other people naturally who are just interested and aren't, uh, aren't uh, in the business, you know, end of it, also join, and I said that way we can
0: all help find each other. I mean, it is great that we have, uh, you know, with the internet and with social media, we are kind of all able to to connect, and we're all able to, uh, you know, kind of just be. Uh, uh, I mean, they use the word community, and we can debate whether or not it is because some people aren't accepting of others and all that kind of stuff, too. But there's a network. There's a great network of people that are, that are able to be reached that, you know, when the old guy across from me here on the uh, in the station, Matt Moniz, your beard's grayer than mine, so I'm going to call you the old guy. When he first started doing this, you know, 30 years ago, it was a lot harder to, to be able to share thoughts and ideas with people.
1: Yeah, we didn't have yeah, the I, Internet.
4: I, I, I can only imagine
0: you didn't, you didn't have – not only did you not have the internet, but, like, you didn't really have any way of knowing when people were doing – unless somebody, like, printed out a business card and put their name on it and said paranormal researcher, you, you wouldn't know until you knew somebody. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like people were a- advertising this like they are now. No. Well, I mean, I suppose so with, you know, having something like, you know, the paranormal hotspot where people can kind of get together and share those ideas, it also helps – foster different ideas and things that people wouldn't have thought of and different approaches. We know that when we hold our ghost hunting events or whatever we do, you know, one of the things that I'm fascinating with, fascinated with is seeing other people's methodologies and seeing their own thoughts and opinions and viewpoints on what they think ghosts are, and that's helped me widen my spectrum over the years, and I'm, I'm sure you guys get into some pretty heavy discussions like that in your group. Um. Yeah, I
4: mean... It depends. I mean, mostly what I do is I'll post things of interest, like articles I find or or um, pictures of, you know, pictures that have ghost stories attached to them. And I let people share. I have, you know, people who are writing about their real experiences and publishing it in books and everything, put their stuff up there. It's still a very young group. I'm just trying to grow it to, you know, I'm just trying to help it, you know, grow and blossom into whatever it's going to be. But hopefully... It helps bring people
0: together. I think I'm just taking a look at it now, and I think uh, my favorite rule is rule number four: uh, mm-hmm. no the no porn rule. <laughs> but I <laughs> I do like the fact that you say that paranormal erotic art is fine, which is you know it's there's there's a lot of it, and it's and some of it is very tastefully done. Uh, but you also mentioned that it's not a dating site because it's a professional networking site. I, I would argue that yeah. in the paranormal world, some of us will just take a, a hookup way anyway we can get it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, we spend so much so much of our weekends running around in the dark, you know, yelling at things that may or may not be there. That any chance that we can get to find like-minded people uh, that are interested in that, we're we're not we're not we're not looking any gift horses in the mouth when it comes to how we meet people.
4: You know, I'm just trying to discourage, like, the, the, the you know, the creepy stalker kind of people. Like, hey, I see you're in the group. Oh. You want to go out on
0: date? Take- oh, you're discouraging the creepy stalkers? All right. Well, I just sent a request to join. You can just ignore that then. That's, oh, no, not I'm, like that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs>
4: yes, I,
0: I'm... Uh, so, uh, but, you know, one of the things that uh, that I, I wanted to ask you about, because obviously with your work and the way that you're, you're uh, fictionalizing uh, ghosts and, and the way that you're utilizing them as characters there's probably a lot of definition to who they are and how they got into that position that is part of their story and part of what you're sharing. But when it comes to real-life ghost stories, have you made a determination in, in your mind about what you think ghosts are and, and how they come to be?
4: Um, sure. Uh, yeah, I actually have. Um, in my mind, I kind of actually uh, wrote about this in one of my stories of you know that I'm working on and basically in my mind you have spirits and ghosts and I feel like even though we use them interchangeably I mean I'm not going to call them spirit stories because no one some people won't know what I'm talking about so I would still call it a ghost story but in my mind like a ghost is someone you know they're all souls human souls usually and a ghost is someone who died you know in It could be a traumatic way. It could be a non-traumatic death, but the point is, is that they haven't crossed over into the light. Whereas, I feel like a spirit is a soul who, after they pass on, they go into the light or to the afterlife or the spirit world or whatever you want to call it, and then they can just kind of go back and forth. So, for example, someone dies, and you know they go off into the light, and then even though they've been in the afterlife and been in the spirit world they could still come back to earth to come visit or to do other things you know what have you well
0: uh my co-host here stephanie is a psychic medium and she encounters ghosts in kind of a different way that we do uh and i know that you know we've had stephanie you and i have had discussions about what the nature is of these ghosts but you say a lot of times spirits can kind of come in in and out sometimes they're there sometimes they're not
2: Well, it depends. Are they crossed over or are they earthbound? And that's a huge difference. The readings that I do for most people with their past loved ones, I'm communicating with spirits that have already crossed over. So therefore, they can come back and forth and visit whenever they do. Uh, You know, they so please. Um, Earthbound spirits are those that have chosen to stay here for whatever reason. And they have a various list of reasons. Every single spirit is different. So they choose to stay. Therefore finding out their story which is most of the time what we do all ghost hunting or searching for uh, different spirits and finding out why they're still here and what their story might be and what they're still attached to so that's completely different and as far as traveling goes or back and forth or doing whatever they want to some of them are stuck right where we find them others travel back and forth um, we'll say in a neighborhood setting so to speak you know three doors down from where uh, they originally haunt not the best word but the easiest to describe the situation, so it really, it, it truly depends on the situation and the spirit.
0: And and Tara, when you're crafting these characters, I assume that you want them to have some level of uh, you know, free will, and, and some, some abilities to kind of be their own independent individual beings, but have you ever, uh, and I'm sure you've heard of these stories as, as well as your Uh, collecting the real life true life stories but uh, have you ever heard stories where you know spirits aren't they don't have that ability where they are trapped where they are maybe tied to a location or to a person or to an object or there's something that's limiting them from being able to either move on or or be able to just at least leave the location that they're currently in oh yes definitely and
4: i and i really love those stories too you know more the traditional kind of haunting um, story um, even if it's done in a different in a non-traditional way but I like the idea of that because you can explore the psychology of the character and really find out what makes them tick and why are they stuck and what are they working through in order to get unstuck so yeah definitely um, uh, definitely I have done that before and I do really enjoy reading and writing stories about that. Because I've
0: I mean, I've looked into a lot of like haunted objects, for example, where there are some sort of an attachment to a specific item and that, that item might get shared with uh, a family member or somebody may buy it from an antique shop or what have you. And, and, and these spirits are attached to them. And it's, it's because there's a strong bond between the spirit and the object. It's, it's not anything that's like – it's not a curse – it's not something where there's a you know a scientific explanation as to why it might be trapped to it. It's just nothing more than a strong emotional bond. And, and I think that that's a lot of what ghosts are, are just strong emotional bonds between an energy and an object or an energy and a place or an energy and the living. Yeah,
4: I would definitely agree. That's a, that's a, that's a good definition.
0: I mean, you ask me a week from now, my definition might change, but, you know, it all depends on, on what these stories are that I've heard. What's, what's the first story that you ever heard or the first experience that you ever had that made you say, oh, wait a minute, maybe there is something to these to these ghosts, maybe ghosts are real?
4: Okay, the first story that I remember hearing um, when I was a kid was, I mean, I guess what really would probably have sparked my interest as far as fiction was um, I believe it's the headless horseman story really fascinated me for some reason, even though it also scared me, especially watching you know the Disney version as a kid. But um, so that would be for the fiction one. Um, for my I mean I've had a bunch of different experiences, but I'd say I'm trying to think what was my first one that I would say oh my goodness that was definitely something strange. Well when I was a kid. Actually, uh, we moved into, we were living in this apartment building in Yonkers. Mm
1: -hmm.
4: And it was a big building. We had lived on the fifth floor with seemingly nothing happening. And then we moved on to the second floor. And right away, the house felt really weird. And I didn't feel comfortable there. And, you know, I was about, I don't know, maybe seven, eight years old. And weird things started happening. Um, For example, my parents we would hear each other, like calling our names. So I would be in my room and I would hear mom and dad calling me and then they would swear they didn't. Or they would hear me calling them and then I would say I did. So we had like this weird echo chamber going on that was one of them. But I also would sometimes like I'd be playing in my room and suddenly feel like someone was watching me. I so we get this really eerie sensation that someone's behind my back somewhere watching me. And I just kind of wrote it off, but but not really because I, was, I would kind of get freaked out. I would usually get up and run, and my parents would just say, you're imagining it. So uh, one day my best friend came over at the time, my childhood best friend, and I said, you know, I think my house is haunted, and my mom had a Ouija board in the house. And so I said, do you want to try to contact the ghost? She said, yeah, that sounds cool. So we sat down. It's like a rainy day, you know, and we're doing this. And uh, my mom showed us how to use it. And uh, after a few minutes of moving around, you know, the little the little planchette, or I believe that's what it's called, I, it started to, you know, move on its own. Like, we felt like it was moving on its own. And I said, you know, are you the ghost that haunts this house, and, you know, this building? And she said, said yes. Yeah. And I said, okay. And then I started asking, you know, me and my friends started asking questions. And my mom is, you know, cleaning and stuff in the background or doing whatever and thinking, oh, how cute. They're playing with the board. And I said, well, have you been in my room? She says, yes, I've been in all the rooms.
3: Hmm. The
4: ghost identified herself as a female from a certain era. And uh, I forget which era it was. I think it was like the 1900s maybe around then. And what ended up happening was I said, well, how did you die? And she said, I hung myself.
3: Ooh.
4: And when I said that out loud, my mom immediately took over the board and, you know, kind of disrupted the connection and told the spirit to, you know, be at peace and everything. And she got really disturbed at that point. Months later, it's a big snowstorm, and my dad and her are helping shovel some people out. And we met a woman who was a local historian who happened to know about the history of our building in that area. And she had said that there, she actually told us about the houses that used to be there kind of like for the Rockefeller type families. And she said that at least there was one at least where there was like some sort of big suicide. And I mean, obviously she didn't have a name or anything, but it was so weird to what I had said about the experience that it really, you know, made my mom think, oh my goodness, are we living in a haunted, you know, apartment kind of feeling that was a really weird experience for me
0: and that probably you know being who you are kind of piqued your curiosity more than anything else
4: yeah i mean it definitely um it it piqued my curiosity but it also made me think well wait a minute so yeah it, it started to make me wonder about where do people go after they die and that's when i started thinking also you know um and i had other experiences that made me wonder this too i mean I would always ask my mother. I would always ask my mother about um, her mother, who had passed away years before I was born, and I mm-hmm. always wanted to know about her. And you know, I would—I just always had an interest in the past. And my mom would say, "You know, you're young. Why are you always thinking about death?" <laughs> That's kind of how she would <clears throat> ask me.
0: Well, was there as, as, as you know, this is happening. You know, you're, you're fortunate enough to have. Uh, a parent who is accepting of these experiences and accepting of the fact that this was actually happening—where did you grow up in a household that actually would foster discussion about ghosts and about the belief in ghosts?
4: Oh, definitely. I mean, my mom, uh, my mom is actually a pagan and Wiccan, and she believes in ancestral spirits. I mean, she's the one who, uh, really, I mean, she really taught me about all this. I remember one of my earliest memories was a. Uh, Halloween night when um, we're sitting in the room, we're sitting in our living room and there's a jack-o'-lantern and she's telling me about how the spirits come through when the veil is thin, you know, and our ancestors are with us. And she, she, she always was very accepting and also, you know, educated me on this stuff. She didn't want me to be afraid. She always said death is just transition. It's not something, I mean, yes, we fear it. We fear the moment of it. But death is really just another change that we go through, that the soul lives on forever. And then she also told me about, you know, I believe in reincarnation, personally. So she told me that, you know, we come back in different forms.
0: And I think, too, that uh, when you have that type of an environment growing up, it makes it, in some ways, it it makes it not only more acceptable, but more kind of, uh, I think it gives you more of a tolerance to be able to hear other people's stories. Uh, you know, like with with me growing up, I grew up in a household where it was kind of talked about a little bit. Nobody, if I said, you know, I'm afraid of the ghost that's in my room, I'd be told there was no such thing. But then at the same time, you know, I might hear my mother and my grandmother at the kitchen table talking about a ghost story from their own house or, or what have you. So it wasn't something where it was completely discouraged, but it wasn't completely, it wasn't the same situation as, as you had. But I, I also found that by having that background it makes it so that I'm more understanding and compassionate to people who want to share their stories, as opposed to just being, obviously when you're collecting stories, you want to be somewhat objective and and be that reporter, but at the same time you have to understand that this is a huge emotional thing for people to have to experience.
4: Oh, yes, definitely. I I, I understand that, and a lot of times people, you know, I always offer them You know, if you don't want your name used, give me a fake name or I'll make up a fake name for you. You know, I I don't, I I say, and I never give their last name unless, you know, they tell me to because they want promotion for something that they're doing. Then I'll use their last name if they give me permission. Um, But, yeah, definitely always, you know, like you said, being compassionate and understanding that they're trusting you with this information and these stories. And a lot of times what they say to me is, I'm just so glad you believe me. You know, I feel like sometimes like this was crazy and it's just so nice to have someone, you know, not only want to share my story, but, you know, treat me nice and not, you know, make fun of me for what I'm going to say or what I've said or anything. And I'm like, oh, no, I mean, thank you for sharing it with me. You know, that's that's why I always tell them. And that's why I always thank them personally. If, it, if it's not my story, that's why I always put thanks to so-and-so for this story from this region, what have you, for sharing with me and for sharing this story.
0: One of the things that I think is the most fascinating when people share their own stories with me is when they are willing to put their entire uh you know, put put their entire belief set on the line when they have an experience like this. When they say, I'm not a person that ever would have believed in this, but I can't deny this experience. Or, you know, growing up with, under this religion, I was taught that this stuff doesn't happen, but I, I can't reconcile with what I've experienced with what I've been told growing up. Like, when people are willing to, to allow this type of an experience to, to change their worldview, to me, that is... Uh, You know, that's a real special moment to get to share with somebody when they're willing to say, everything that I thought that I knew was wrong.
4: Yeah, that is a really amazing experience. And and it does happen, you know. It does happen, I think, frequently to people where it's just suddenly this boom moment, you know, where their whole worldview shifts.
0: So is there... For you, I mean, it seems like you've always been kind of accepting of this, and there was never kind of a, a, an aha moment where you had to completely rethink everything, but has there ever been an experience that you have had uh, or or just something that has happened to you in researching these stories where you've said, okay, maybe this is a little bit more than I bargained for? Yeah, there
4: definitely has been. Um, actually, there was this experience I had where – You know, I almost feel like it's like a pulling back of a curtain. And on the one hand, it's amazing, and you want to know more. And on the other hand, I'm like, pull that back. Let's pull it closed. I don't really want to know about this. It kind of creeps me out. So I I have had that experience actually um, about a little over a year ago. Um, Now, I don't really – I live in a pretty calm house, and I'm grateful for that. Um, But sometimes – you know, you know when people kind of get a premonition, but they don't know that it's a premonition until it happens, kind of thing. Until after it happens,
0: right? It's 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 got to kind so, of it's got to come to fruition for it to have made sense. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So I was standing. We have this big we have this big window, and I was on the phone with my mother, and my husband was on the couch, and and I was talking to her, and then suddenly I saw this really. It's like not. It wasn't dark outside. It was like dusk, so I could totally see. I had clear vision. All of a sudden, I see this really tall, very, very tall person. Well, figure, really, in a dark cloak. That's what it looked like. And I said, what is that? And as I turned to look, all I see is this dark figure in a dark cloak. I could not see a face, and they turn, and no joke, they disappeared. And I got so freaked out seeing this because it's daylight. They're not there anymore. It was literally maybe 15 seconds or something like that. And I just said to myself, but that doesn't feel right. Something really doesn't feel right. So that night, kind of went to bed earlier than usual. I'm more of a night owl. You know, it's not unusual for me to be up till like 1 or one in the morning or later, and um, you got to be kind of when, down when you do this stuff,
0: huh? So you kind of got to be when you do this stuff, you know? <laughs> this it's yeah. not a, it's not an early to bed kind of uh, pursuit.
4: Yeah, and also being a writer, you just tend to stay up late. I think sometimes, That's true uh, too. at least I do. That's um, when the best ideas come. But and, yeah, I know. Sometimes when you're trying to go to bed, it's like story idea. <laughs> I'm like, really? I'm washing up for bed here, but. Anyway, so I close down the blinds, I go to bed, and I just had this really weird feeling. Now, we had um, we had a pet bird um, named Skye, and he was kind of getting on in years, and he'd been a little sickly. And that night, he told me off when I came into the bedroom, because we used to have to keep him separate from the cat. And so he kind of told me off when I came into the bedroom. I said, oh, go to sleep. And I went, you know, because I said, it's just me, go to sleep. And I got in bed. And the next morning, I wake up, and I pull off his cover to say good morning, and he is lying dead on the cage ground. And I just got really freaked out because when I thought about what I saw and I thought about what happened, I said that, I think, was like seeing a grim reaper outside my house.
2: Well,
0: yeah, that that would be something that would kind of – Make me have pause. One of the weirdest things that ever happened to me was when I first started doing this show, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, we're going to celebrate our 12th anniversary next week. So it was probably, it was probably 12 years ago. It wasn't that long that we've been doing the show. And uh, my co-host, Matt Moniz, who, as I mentioned before, had been doing this for a long time, warned me that when you start doing this and talking about this stuff, stuff is going to come out and start looking for you. So I kind of always, I I took that in stride, and I was like, "Yeah, whatever. Ghosts don't care about me."
1: How did that turn out?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it just so happened that one one Saturday night, I came home from doing the show, and as I closed the door of my car and got ready to run into my house because that's what I do I used to be afraid of the dark before I was a paranormal investigator believe it or not now I now I just don't care
1: but then again your neighborhood there may be other reasons to run into
0: right there's there's wild animals and all kinds of yeah. stuff but so uh, you know I close the door and as I start getting ready to head into the house I see a shadow figure walking down the street and I think to myself nobody should really be out this late but I had one of those moments of, do I run toward it, or do I run away from it? And I started walking down the street to see if I could figure out who was down there, and whatever was there disappeared, and there's nowhere that anybody could have gone that I wouldn't have seen where they would have gone or, or heard them rustling through the trees or whatever. And it was just whatever figure was there, whatever humanoid figure was there, disappeared. And that's when I said, okay, I guess I'm going to keep running to the front door when I get home at night now.
3: It was a puck.
0: <laughs> it might have been. But you know you're right. Like, it's when 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 you start looking into this stuff, more of it does come back and, and look at you. And I'm I'm sure. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, I was gonna say I'll give you the quote that was given to me years uh-huh. ago. For every step you take towards the unknown, it takes two towards you.
2: I thought it used to be three. Ooh,
0: it's, that's cool. It depends. It two, depends on three, how depends on how it big of a stride you have. Yeah.
2: I just feel like you I've know, always heard you say
0: three. It, it'd probably be three steps for me, one step for John. You know, it all depends on how much ground you cover when you walk.
2: Uh, so, uh,
0: again, we're talking with our guest, Tara Teresa Hill, and uh, you can check out her site, uh, The Ghost Post. It, when, when you are collecting these stories from people and, and these real-life stories, how do you do so? Is it things that people are sending you in written form? Are you interviewing them? Are you talking with them on the phone? Or is it a combination of, uh, of all those different ways?
4: Well, some people have written me, especially, you know, I've had a couple of people who are outside the country, and so it's easier for them to, you know, write me something, and then I'll either edit it or, or you know, or depending on their writing capability, then I might reshape it. Someone Sometimes they, you know, send me just a bunch of information, and I form a story, you know, a, a readable, entertaining story around it. Other times, um, most of the time I do... Um, interviews over the phone with them. I call them, and uh, I basically, what I do is I put them on speaker. You know, no one's. You know, I'm home, and uh, and I just take down notes as they're talking. And then sometimes I have to slow them down a bit so I have time to write down everything. And then what I do is when I'm finished, I tell them I'm. Once I have a draft ready for you, I'll email it to you, or sometimes I message it to them over Facebook if it's easier. Uh, Whatever they want. And then they give me feedback, tell me if I need to change something, if I made a mistake with someone's name or, you know what, I decided I want my name taken out. Mm. So I make sure that they like the final draft before I publish it.
0: Yeah, there, there's there's a lot of trepidation that I notice happens with people where, you know, they're willing to share their story because they just want to share it with somebody. And then they start to have reservations because they're like, oh, what if my, you know, what if my pastor sees it? What if my boss sees it? You know, people tend to, to kind of shy away from it afterwards. But there is a lot of value in just getting these stories off your chest for anybody that's thinking about you know sharing a story with tara there's a lot of value in just getting it out there and being able to share it with somebody else and i'm sure they all start their stories the same way tara where they look at you and say or or address you as saying you know you're gonna think i'm crazy but and then they go into their story yeah a lot of
4: times people start with that or Some people are very excited. They say, I've had so many, and I never knew, you know, some people have grown up in a haunted house and just never got the chance to talk about it. I mean, because not everybody's a writer, so not everybody's going to, you know, put this stuff on the Internet or what have you. So they're like, oh, it's so great to talk to someone who can actually make sense of this and, you know, make it, you know, I tell you the story and you put it up in an entertaining way, that's great. A, A lot of people are excited to share. And like you said, some people aren't, so, you know, it depends, but either way, I'm just always grateful that they're willing to share with me, because, you know, part of the reason why I started the blog was because, you know, I love writing, and I want to write about ghosts, and that's what I want to be known for, and even though I'm, you know, I I love fiction, everybody kept saying a writer needs a blog, I said, well, I'm not going to write fiction and put it on a blog, because, you know, I, I like to take more time with it than that, so I said, well, I'll start a blog on ghosts, and I thought ghost stories, if I could do it as ghost stories as, like, a report would be fun, rather instead of talking about the technical stuff, which I don't know as well. I know of it, but I wouldn't call myself, like, a, you know, a specialist in that end of, like, the... You know the the
0: technical aspects of it. Well, that that brings up a, a question that I have for you, and that's, you know, have you thought about making that transition into actually being somebody that goes out and instead of just collecting reports, goes out there and, and investigates claims and and gets more of a a first hand back and forth with the ghosts themselves, as opposed to just collecting the stories of the living. Mm, I've
4: thought about it, and you know. I'm not going to say I would never do it, but it's not something, Um, you know, let me put you this way. If I go to a place and I have a ghost experience, that's fine, but I don't like to kind of go search them out. Right. Uh, I, I did do a couple of times where, I, I did do once where I went specifically on, you know, a, a, nah, I don't like calling them a ghost hunt, but, you know, a paranormal investigation. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was a bit... It was a bit creepy. I mean, it was fun. It was really a lot of fun, but it was also a bit creepy. And the place we, you know, that was investigated was uh, really run down, and uh, you know, there was like um, a lot of water and dust and broken stuff in there. And I said, you know what? I don't think I'll do this. I, I prefer to just get the stories and not have to go and go into the field itself per se. Oh, so I'm like- always open to, you know, experience a ghost. Whenever
0: comes along Sounds like my kind of place So you just want the ghost To come to where It's like nice and warm And you know Where there's no uh, Ceiling tiles Falling down on you And where you can't You know Stab yourself With a splinter While you're walking around I see how I it love is. historical
4: <laughs> houses Like hotels And you know Houses from the 1800s And things like that Oh so me yeah, too I guess so
0: me too. Now, in, in our area, you know, we're fortunate enough, we've had the chance to investigate a couple of properties from the 1600s, and just what a difference Ooh. it is to walk into one of those places and to experience, you know, the energies. You know, Stephanie aside, she can go in there and make direct connections, but even just like the rest of us who are psychic as a brick, to be able to just walk in there and feel just a different change in energy from, from a place that's so old, it just gives you goosebumps. Yeah.
4: What
0: what What's probably... For I mean, for you, uh, with being able to go out to to collect stories and to, to hear these stories, and I, I've got to assume that there's probably a good part of you that's also considers yourself somewhat of a, a counselor for these people that are sharing these stories. And although you want to remain objective as a person that's taking these stories from a journalistic approach, you know it, it's got to make you feel like you're you're doing your part and you're filling the role that you're supposed to be filling when you're just making these people feel better for sharing.
4: Yeah, I mean, that does come into it. I mean, I'm always very surprised that, you know, I'm always surprised when people thank me so much, honestly. I feel almost a little embarrassed. I'm like, oh, oh, why, you know? Like, I'm just listening to the story, but apparently it does, yeah, I guess it does make people feel better, and and that's good. That's really a wonderful, you know, a wonderful thing. Um, And, and I really do enjoy listening to them because, it's interesting, you know. It's interesting to me. I, you know, people want to talk about ghost stories. I've had, I've had interviews that last for fifteen minutes, and I've had them go for two hours. <laughs> you know, like the interview really varies. It depends on the person. Average is about thirty minutes to an hour, but there have been times I've been on the phone with them like for two or three hours. I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, I'm still I may have stopped taking notes already and it's just we're talking about different things, you
0: know. So they just open you know, they open up to you. Right. They they just make a connection with you and they want to be able to to share more with you. Has there ever been a story that somebody shared with you that you've said to them, "Uh, listen, I'm I'm happy to take your story and I'm I'm happy to chronicle it for you, but it sounds like you have an issue going on that you might need a, a research team to come in and check out or you know, you might need some some Help that can be more uh, boots on the ground and more involved than 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 you might be able to be.
4: Um, I think well, definitely I've had like I've I've, said, I've asked people if they've done that, uh, but for the most part, th- this is usually past tense where people have left those places. Mm-hmm. So, but definitely when they start when they start talking about red-eyed figures, that's when I get a little creeped out. I have to say, Some of the stories when they're really I really enjoy the nice stories about, like, ancestors coming through or what have you. The ones about red-eyed figures, demonic kind of things, I tend to write those during the day. <laughs> if I, if I, you know, if I can, I schedule my writing time. I'll say I'm going to write about it during the daytime because if I don't, I'm going to freak out myself, you know, freak myself out at, like, 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night if I'm doing this after dark.
0: I mean, there definitely is a different... Uh, feeling when somebody's sharing with you an experience that's happened to them in the past, and when they're in the midst of having to deal with a, with a haunting, especially something extreme, where you know you can certainly tell the difference in in, in the way that they are processing what it was, and and when they have that distance from the actual experience, they can have a little bit more perspective of it, whereas opposed to when it's active and still happening to them, they might be in such a state of of fright or or panic or just anxiety over it that they're not able to express it the same way that they would if they were removed from the situation.
4: Mm. I haven't had that experience yet. It would be interesting if I ever do. Well, actually, no, wait, there is someone that, yeah, they told us about a very... There, there was one woman early on who she, she's not always in the house, but she sometimes is because it's a family-owned house. And when she is, she doesn't sleep well there, and what have you, because it's got a lot of activity, uh, a lot of spirit, high high levels of spirit activity. And so she'll say something like, "You know, there's people. You're trying to go to sleep, and you hear people walking around upstairs, and you know no one else is up there, or you'll or or you'll be upstairs and hear fighting." like vocal fighting downstairs. You come downstairs, it disappears. I'm like, oh my goodness, I wouldn't sleep there. <laughs> you know?
0: There I mean there's plenty of stories that come into me all the time of things that people are going through actively. I can I can send you some <laughs> if you want to chronicle some in the moment stories. Uh some people might even be able to call yeah. you as the hauntings are happening.
4: Well that would be great. That would be really interesting. I, I feel I feel bad for them if it's a scary one, you know. Um, you know, if it's something that's disturbing.
0: Well, the, the good thing is, you know, we've been able to, over the last 12 years, we've been able to build a pretty good network of people that are able to actually, you know, help with people when they have problems. People will contact us and say, you know, can you come out and investigate my house? I think there's something going on. And we always say the same thing, like, you know, we don't, our schedules are so crazy, you don't want to depend on us. But we have built a nice network of people that are able to kind of chronicle things and get back to us and let us know what it is that somebody endured. So, I mean, that might be a good thing for you to do, maybe tag along with a group so you don't actually have to be the one to, to do the investigation, but you could lend your skills as a person who is uh, able to actually take things from an objective approach and, and help them chronicle what's going on.
4: Hmm, never thought of that. That's an interesting idea. Thank you.
0: And the best thing about ghost hunting teams, snacks. They always bring snacks. <laughs> I feel like Swedish fish. Yeah, we can't get through we can't get through a spooky South Coast episode without mentioning snacks at least once. So it's kind of our thing. Uh, But uh, certainly, uh, if you ever wanted to do that, we could help you find somebody in your area, and uh, and we will certainly anybody that we know that wants to uh, share their story and and have it chronicled, we'll pass it on to you as well.
4: Sure, thank you. That would be really great. I really appreciate that.
0: So uh, let everybody know uh, about uh, about your writing, about your work, about where they can find it all, and, and how they can get in touch with you.
4: Well, right now the best place is uh, on Facebook, Tara Teresa Hill Author. Um, also Twitter, at Tara Teresa Hill. If you want to, um, you know, you'll find my um, You'll find my, uh, um, my email, theghostpostreporter at gmail.com, on either of those sites, and you can just send me an email. A lot of people just message me via Facebook sometimes and, you know, on my author page, and they'll say, you know, you can um, uh, can I do an interview with you, and uh, then we just set it up. Then I'll ask for an email, and I always do it by email. I'll ask for an email, and I'll set up, you know, uh, a time to interview, and you know, I'm, pre- I'm pretty flexible. <laughs>
0: Excellent. Well, uh, certainly keep us up to date with, uh, with all of your work, and, uh, and we'll keep joining. And I really will send a, a, a request to join uh, the Paranormal Hotspot. I promise I will not be any more creepy there than I am in other groups.
4: Oh, I'm sure you're wonderful, and thank you so much. That would be really great.
0: <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for joining us, and you have a great night.
4: Thank you. You too. Thank you, everybody, and congratulations on your 12-year anniversary. Oh,
0: thank you so much. Take care. That is Tara okay, Teresa hi. Hill, and again, uh, you can follow her at the Ghost Post, uh, the Ghost Co. You can follow her on the Paranormal Hotspot Group on Facebook. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter and inst- I mean, uh, on Twitter at Tara Teresa Hill, and on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash Tara Teresa Hill. You'll find her author page, and uh, certainly, when it comes to you guys know this is is just talking to people about their ghost stories. It it's hard to get people to some people to open up whereas other people are just dying to share it no pun intended, dying to share this information with somebody else. And it's it's kind of hard to take that and be able to remain objective as somebody's telling you because you're dealing with their this emotional thing for them and you can't help but become emotional for them as they're telling the story. I mean, you're Stephanie, you're open to different you know, having empathic approaches to things, you know, so you're going to open yourself more when you're around somebody anyway, Mm -hmm. but just, it's pretty easy to get wrapped up in the emotion of somebody when they're sharing one of these stories.
2: Well, of course, because you can fear, well, you can hear, feel their fear, you know, their sadness or their excitement or their happiness or whatever it might be, depending on the type of situation that, they're going through, you know, just as a human and relating to somebody else and and what they're feeling. Of course, you can feel that and you can experience it yourself just by listening to someone's story.
0: And, And Moniz, I know that you've been in situations where you've contacted me and said, you know, we've got these people that are going through something and, you know, it's just to the point where they're overwhelmed by it. So even though it might not, you know, to you, it might not seem overwhelming. You can, you're consciously aware of when somebody's at something where they might be reaching their breaking point with dealing with it. Right, For a
1: lot of people, it's just a cathartic release to be able to unburden themselves with the experience. They may not care if you believe them or not. They just want to be able to to get it off their chest. Hey, I've had this experience. I need to share it with somebody that's willing to listen. Because let's face it, a lot of times people in families, when you start to try and talk about it, they don't want to talk mm-hmm. talk about it. They want to close it off because that means i got to deal with it. And you know, I gotta sit with this person, and uh, on Christmas and Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and things like that, and they don't want to have that responsibility, so they come to us to be able to unburden themselves.
2: Or their family's experiencing it, and if it's a family member that they love and trust that's right. experiencing it, that now makes it real, and therefore they have right. to face that, and they don't want to, so right. they ignore it.
0: And John, I know you've dealt with some cases that were pretty extreme. Uh, over the years and had experiences that were that were pretty extreme. And coming at it from, from the other perspective, and I know that you've investigated a lot of things that were kind of mundane and weren't as bad, but you've become known for some of your uh, extreme experiences. It must be hard coming from that perspective of sharing it with people and being able to convey to them just what that experience was like and, and just how how frightening it can be. You know, obviously, you know, you're not scared because you're used to this and you've done it, but just how intense of a situation they could be entering in if they get into something similar.
3: Uh, It's true. Um, You know, a lot of people, when I would tell the story, they would get, almost to the point either they don't believe it or sometimes they would actually get scared themselves and i'm not telling them to scare them Mm -hmm. i'm just telling them because they asked me a simple question i'm trying to explain to them what it's like to be in that situation um but they end up getting scared themselves and they get freaked out to the point that oh i don't want to be in that situation don't i hope i never arise in that um but then there's sometimes that people actually want to know what's going on so That way, if they ever are in that situation, you've told them how you handled it, and hopefully they could handle it that way.
0: I do think experience comes into play with it, too. I think if people are telling you one ghost experience that they've had it's a very frightening ordeal for them to deal with a lot of the times. But if it's something that's been happening, you know, over the course of many years at mm-hmm. their home, then it becomes, they're like, oh, yeah, that's just the ghost in my Second house. Second nature. Yeah, I'll tell you about okay. the ghost, but it's not really any big deal. Yeah. And I think that there, with experience and with repeatability, there's a lot of, I don't want to say you ever want to become dull to it, because you want to stay alert and stay stay in the moment, but there's also kind of some sense of, okay, we're accepting of this now let's see if it goes anywhere beyond this and we've we've all investigated together and we've all experienced that before where we're in a room with some people who are freaking out over the least little thing that's happening and we're over there saying like do something more what else can you do Mm -hmm. you know it's just it's not enough for us to to hear a door slam or it's not enough for us to hear a whisper we want to have a full-out conversation or or get knocked to the ground by something i
3: I did a case up is there
1: anybody up there no, I just I just was sharing that story the other day, actually.
3: I did a case up at Hanscom Air Force Base, and uh, we were called in, and the family, we, we ended up having four locations on the base. Uh, we did two of the hangars and then two residential houses. And one of the houses ended up having a lot going on, um, So so much that the family that was moving around, it was actually the daughter that was causing it. Um, she had what I believe a little bit of. Poltergeist No, actually, telekinesis. And yeah,
0: yeah. Well, Moni's a lot of poltergeist cases. They think are caused by a telekinetic oh, adolescent. Okay. Adolescent okay.
3: Growing. Yes, and and that I didn't know that's what you were getting at. Yeah. Yes. Um, so we're sitting there, and just what you said, we're sitting there going. What can you do? Let us see what can happen. And you can see the family, even though they've been dealing with it for years, because it's followed them from different air force bases because it's it's her. They literally were terrified while I'm sitting there watching the DVR system and the the investigators are downstairs in the basement with the homeowner and, and the daughter. And they're saying, you know, do something for us. Make a sound. Let us know you're here with us. And I'm watching a hand come out of nowhere from behind the father, touch him on the shoulder. Now, they're in complete darkness. I can see it on on the screen. And you literally see the father turn to his left and look like something was there, brush his arm, but doesn't say nothing to nobody. When I go over and I yell down the stairs, hey, did something just touch you? He goes, yes. And the daughter goes, I told you it was here. I saw it first. And she literally had reacted when she saw that when, when I saw the hand, she literally was looking at the father the whole time. Like she saw it with his own eyes. It, it's just crazy. They were they were scared, but yet for us, we're just like, come, come on, more.
0: <laughs> and, and you mentioned something that's very interesting, and it's, it's something we should pursue for an episode because we've never really talked very much in depth about it. But the idea of poltergeists being something that's actually more... Man-made, man-created, more than it is something paranormal. I mean, it's paranormal, but more than it is Tulpa-like. a ghost. Uh, it, um, I mean, to some sense, uh, if you need to have a a being, another entity, another intelligence to interact with, but a lot of these cases just straight out happen as, like John was saying, straight telekinesis. And uh, so I think we should probably, we've, we've explored it a little bit here and there, and eventually I've got to get my family to come in. I got to get my family to come in and share the story of the haunting that I grew up dealing with where you know looking back it's it's got so many elements of different types of paranormal phenomena that I'm not ex- I've still to this day I'm not exactly sure what it was that was calling causing it because a lot of it could have been Poltergeist activity caused by my, you know, prepubescent cousin. A lot of it could have been the fact that this entire neighborhood is haunted. A lot of it could have been that stuff happened on their very property. It could be the fact that they live next to a cemetery. It could have been that they invented something in their own minds. It could have been that they invited something to come into their. So many different angles to it, and so eventually we got to get them all to come in. But uh, we might.
3: Oh, it would. It would might,
0: be. Might, might might have to get some of your uh, apple pie to get my uncle to, to talk.
3: <laughs> it would be. It would be an awesome subject to talk about, and I mean the, the stories from just that. We went back there four times, but just dealing with that family two out of the four times that we went, the stuff that went on, and then after getting a couple of psychiatrists involved and getting some doctors involved that we had to... They literally would determine that it was her, and it's because of the meds, so many meds that she was on. And the way the doctors explained it to me, again, I'm, I'm simple when it comes to this, that type of stuff. I don't understand it as well as some others. They're like, when they pumped her so much full of meds, from the average person, the way they explained it was, we can be talking me and you, Tim, but yeah, I could be listening to Matt talk to Stephanie quietly, like whispering. Mm-hmm. My my side sense is still there. But, yeah, I'm still watching the screen in front of me to know when I need to switch something. We can do multiple things. Our brain will allow us. The meds were so much for her. It was shutting it down to one function, and that was her being so upset at her family from moving to moving to moving the location that she was literally using that from the meds to cause all the stuff to happen and manifest within the house. I watched her break two necklaces Offer her of two of my investigators that literally just bought them that night put them on outside of the gates they didn't even have them on prior put them on outside of the gates we went in walked in the house the girl came around to meet us and she looked at both the investigators she started squeezing her hands and squeezing her squinting her eyes and literally through sweatshirts two st michael crosses dropped both simultaneously at the same time dropped out of their shirts
2: so how do you explain the hand that you saw because that doesn't sound like poltergeist activity. That seems like...
3: It, 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 again, she's saying that she brings her friends into the house. This is what she tells me, okay. that she invites them. So I don't know if she invited something there. Um, while Because the, she kept saying the whole time the father was sitting down there talking, oh, I don't believe it, I don't believe it, there's nothing here. And she says, Dad, I'll show you, watch. So could she be causing it that way? Possibly. Mm-hmm. It definitely, yeah. definitely sounds like something we need to
0: explore for a, a full episode. And uh, I'll tell you off there, about when I used to wear a cross. Really? I, I don't, I'm not religious, yeah. but I wore because I was like, maybe the ghosts are. <laughs> so I wore it and, and something happened. So I'll tell you that off there. air. Nice. Uh, but we're going to have to go for the night because we are up against the end of the show here. We'll be back next Saturday night to celebrate our 12th anniversary. I don't know how we're going to celebrate it. We'll probably have some cake or something. Well, we have to. Moniz has a snacks. Has a sly look on his face, like he's got something planned. <laughs> what? We'll, well, hey, may, maybe we'll uh, we'll be here next Saturday night. To, hey, it's all good, no. and uh, and and we're inviting all Party of our football. friends. All of our friends can come next week, next Saturday night to the show. Uh, so uh, we'll we'll have more details about that during the week. On spookysouthcoast.com and on our Facebook page and on our Twitter account, so follow us there. Uh, always make sure that you follow everything that we do online. You can reach out to us at any point during the week. Spooky Crew at spookysouthcoast.com. We are always willing to listen and have you share your experiences with us. And if you think you would even make a great guest, even better for us. So uh, we'll be back to celebrate year number twelve, the beginning of lucky number thirteen, next Saturday night. Of course, go Patriots. That's, yes, that Obviously. goes without yes. saying, and uh, hopefully we'll be back here next week talking about a getting Stephanie's Super Bowl predictions. W- yep.
3: We, we got to vote for Minnesota though too.
0: All right, stay spectacular, everybody.